take a seat. As we were just uh, even singing there, I was reminded yesterday we went to an event with this uh, NFL player guy for, uh, it was like an event he held for families of uh, foster and adoptive children. And he showed up and uh, he gave a picture frame of his signed face or whatever to one of my kids, which made some of my other kids upset, you know, that the one kid got something special and they didn't. And meanwhile, they had all these wonderful things they already had that they, that they were already given. And you know, already, I gave that speech to them that I was just praying about. Why you're so focused on what you don't have that you're not enjoying what you do have. And why don't you focus on what you do have as opposed to focusing on what you don't have? That God, you, you, so many good things are happening to you right now. You're neglecting all of them because of this one bad thing. Uh, well, we get to the front of the autograph line, and, and part of my job that day was to help host everything. So I had been with him and trying to host and, and trying to help in any way I could. Well, my whole family gets to the front of the line, and he, the guy, had saved a signed jersey to give to my family uh, that I didn't know about, you know? And so we show up, we get to the front, and he gives them all a signed jersey. And they, you know, they're like, can't believe it. Their, their minds are blown by this moment in time. Uh, and I was like, what an amazing reminder and perspective, you know, that like here he is complaining about what he doesn't have. Little does he know, little does he know the blessing coming his way. And his lack of perspective about what is coming doesn't enable him to focus on or to handle the moment in front of him and how true that is of us, you know, in our life. To say we look at it and we don't have the thing that we hope to have, but if only we knew the good plans that not an NFL player but our Father in Heaven has for us, the good blessings that He is going to bring to us in whatever form, and particularly, most assuredly, in Heaven, uh, that would give us the perspective of Heaven, I believe. So, uh, anyways, that was just a, a random thought from my day yesterday, but I think it has spiritual prevalence to our life this morning. Hey, I want to remind you to join us for VBS this week, all right? It's going to be awesome, amazing. It's 9 to 12 every day. If you haven't signed up yet, you can sign up online. Come join us in the morning, Monday through Friday. We're going to have fun. We're going to hear from the Lord. We're going to hopefully see lives changed, and we're excited to do that. So bring your family, bring your neighbor's family's kids. Ask for permission. Don't kidnap them. And bring other kids from the neighborhood, and just bring all the kids you can, all right, so that they can come be blessed this morning. Uh, tomorrow morning and throughout the week, it's going to be an amazing, amazing time. Uh, today, we're going to finish. We're not going to finish, but we're going to begin this last part of Ephesians chapter 6 as we kind of finish our, over these next few weeks, this whole series we've been in Ephesians pretty much all year. The message today is called The Strength to Stand. The Strength to Stand. Now, I want to give you a, a picture of why this is so important and what the Lord hopes to do with you and me this morning. Now, the reason we need to be strong is because there's an attack happening and coming in our lives on a daily basis, and you need the strength to stand. I want to help make you aware of what that attack is and help get you ready so that you can stand well. Uh, last week, I had taken my kids on a, on a spontaneous trip to Rehoboth Beach, okay? So we went up to the beach for a day, a night. And when we got there, uh, we, the first day we went to the bay, which has no waves whatsoever, which is super lame. Won't make that mistake again. The second time, we go to the boardwalk, and we get there, and the waves are really, really strong. They're really big. If you know my family, most of my kids are fairly small. They're little kids right now, okay? So uh, I have a couple older ones, and, and most of them are little. So we're, we're up there at the front, and the waves are coming in like, 
I'm talking light. It'll knock our grown up. It knocked me over once or twice, okay? It, it'll, it'll really take you out. Those are good waves. So that's fun. It makes it fun. Uh, but they would come in, and my whole, you know, if your parents know at the beach, your survival's your goal, okay? That's you. You're not there to have fun. You're, not, you're just like, can, I, can we come? Can the kids have fun? Can I take them home alive? That is all I'm trying to do, all right? I'm just watching the waves. I'm the most nervous person on the beach. I'm like, you know, you just assume somebody's going to get sucked out into the thing, you know? So... I'm there, but the waves are really strong, and it's knocking them all over, all right? Uh, one, one time, my littlest one, she had her floaties on, but one, one of it caught, and then it just, you know, the undercurrent back just catches her, and she's just, whoop, you know, she's just flying out. And I literally, like, running, 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 and I just grabbed that something. I end up, like, scratching her on the shoulder, because I was just not, I wasn't thinking about anything other than, like, I got to grab you somehow, some way, and keep you from going away. Well, some of my kids were, were playing on, on a sort of part of the beach where the waves were coming in pretty strong. And uh, they would come in, they would knock you over, and then you'd have to get ready for the next one. And so often, my advice to the children as I was there was you got to get back up on your feet. You got to get back up on your feet because when the wave has come, it has knocked you over. If you're not on your feet for the next one, then it's just going to wash over you and sweep you back out into the ocean. The only way you have a chance to actually stand, the only way you have a chance to deal with the wave that's coming is to stand up. If you don't stand up, you don't have a chance. You need to get back up on your feet to keep the wave, the next wave from knocking you over. And I want you to have that actually in your mind this morning that the Lord has brought you here to tell you and to help you and to look at you and say, hey, you need to get back up on your feet. And I want to come and I want to bring the word of God to support you and strengthen you in this to help you get back up on your feet, to help you stand strong so that you can handle the waves that are coming and are surely going to come in your life. Because you cannot fight the waves of the ocean laying down and you cannot deal with the issues of life laying down. You need to stand and you need the strength to stand. And some of you already from the get-go say, well, man, I already feel burdened by the idea that I need to stand up and be strong. You know, I don't have it in me. I don't, I ain't got it, you know. So when you say get back up on your feet and you're like, I feel totally paralyzed and my legs do not work and this is not going to work out. I don't have the strength to stand. I don't even have the desire to get out of bed in the morning. Whatever your situation may be, I want to encourage you this morning really that God says get back up on your feet, but then God also comes along and strengthens you to do it. God will never ask you to do something that he does not empower you to do. So in light of that, I want to help all of us stand up, stand strong, so that we can manage the life that God has given us. So go ahead and open your Bible to Ephesians chapter 6. Let's go. Let's go. Are y'all ready this morning? Okay. Verses 10 through 13. This is what Paul says here. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to, say it with me, stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to with stand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand firm. This is what the Lord says and hopes to do and bring into your life this morning. Uh, as we close out over these next few weeks, our series in Ephesians, just to give you a little perspective of this last passage, we're doing this little chunk today, but there's about 14 verses left, and what he's gonna do now to close out the whole book 
is he's going to break it down into three sections. He's going to tell us about spiritual warfare and help us understand the reality of what's going on all around you and hopefully give us eyes to see. And then the second thing he's going to do is give us the weapons we need, which is the armor of God. And then the last thing he's going to do is show us the role of prayer in all of this. So that's how we're going to finish up over these last few weeks is we're going to have our, hopefully our eyes open to the spiritual reality all around us. We're going to be equipped with the weapons we need to do the battle. And we're going to understand the role of prayer in all of that. Today, we're focusing on this first part, verses 10 through 13, the reality of spiritual warfare. As you just read here, and you'll see throughout the passage, Paul uses the word stand three times just in this passage. And he's going to continue to use the word as he continues to talk through the end of Ephesians. This being seemingly the central idea of what Paul is hoping to accomplish, meaning that all that he's discussed about who the church is and how people get saved and spiritual gifts and walking in the light and running away from certain sins and why all of these things all culminate in this idea that I have written these things to you so that you may stand strong. The whole book of Ephesians, you could say, in a sense, is written so that you may stand strong. So as we culminate with that, this is Paul's kind of final word for us. Paul knows that there will be attacks that try to knock us down, but he does not have in mind the kind of attacks that you and I normally think of. And my prayer today is that God would open our eyes to see the real war all around us, the real thing, I'm call it the thing behind the thing, the problem behind the problem, the real issue that you and I must deal with in terms of the fights that we are in is spiritual, not physical. And so before I tell you and help you be strong in the Lord, I want you to know why you need to do that. I want to build a whole case for you as to why it's so important for you and me to receive God's strength why we need God's strength, why we don't have an option to not live in God's strength because of the situation that we are in. Uh, there's the story in the Old Testament of the prophet Elisha and his assistant. Uh, this is in 2 Kings chapter 6. I'm just going to summarize it for you, though. They're surrounded by an enemy army. And so imagine you've got the prophet Elisha and his assistant, and they can see on the tops of the hills they're surrounded. They're surrounded by this enemy army that's going to come take them out. But Elisha's very calm. He's not troubled. But his assistant's very nervous. He's freaking out. And then Elisha simply prays. He says, God, would you open his eyes? And as soon as God opens the eyes of his assistant, he sees not only the enemy army, but then he sees the heavenly armies that are all around them. And all of a sudden, he's given eyes to see. That's the whole song we just sang. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm really surrounded by you. And, the, and his eyes are open. And because his eyes are open to see the spiritual reality all around him, his entire perspective on life has changed in an instant. Because he can see what's really going on. In the same way, I want to help us, and I pray that God would allow us to have our eyes open this morning to see the spiritual realities really going on, both positive and negative, that there are spiritual realities happening all around you, that you are and I am in the midst of a spiritual war. In light of that, you should be more encouraged than ever because God is on your side in Christ. If you are in Christ, God is on your side. And if you are not in Christ, you need God on your side by believing and trusting in him. But although God is on your side, and he always wins, at the same time, this should help us be sober-minded, as the Bible says, because the spiritual forces around us are very real, and they are very strong. Without God's help, we do not stand a chance. Uh, when I was thinking about this, I thought about how, uh, when you go on a plane, when you go on a plane ride, how many of you pay attention to the safety instructions that they give you as you're boarding the plane? 
Nobody. I mean, those poor people who have to pretend to do something that matters while no one looks at them. You know, they're standing there and hey, this is how you do this, I do this. All right, if that plane went down, you're all dying. Nobody pays attention. Nobody pays attention to the rules. Nobody pays attention to how to blow this thing up. Nobody's looking, okay? You know, you'd, you'd grab that floating and be like, where's the hole? You know, you would have no idea. Why? Because you weren't paying attention. Uh, why is it that you're not paying attention to the safety instructions as they fly you 30,000 feet in the air in a metal tube and you say, I'm not really going to pay attention to the safety instructions. Why? Well, you don't really pay attention because you don't actually think you're going to need it. You don't actually think you're going to need it. You certainly hope you don't need it. And you've probably been in enough plane rides to think, well, even if it gets turbulent, I'm probably going to land. It's probably going to work out. So you don't really think that you need it. So you don't pay attention to the instructions. I think this is often, though, how we think about the God's word or how we think about the strength of God is that we're so reliant on our own strength or that we don't actually think that we're going to need it to that degree. This plane ain't going to crash. And so we don't pay attention and give the same focus to what God has said in his instructions about how we should live. We don't think we're going to need it to that degree. And so we don't give it the focus, you know. The armor of God, as we're going to see in the next few weeks, becomes like a, a cute children's thing that you can make a soldier outfit out of. And it's funny. As opposed to like, I need, I need what, are, what are these things and how do you put them on? If I don't have these things, I'm dead. That's how I should think about it. So as we look at this, we got to think about the fact that we need these safety instructions. And you're going to realize that you want the instructions when you realize the environment that you're in. If you got on the plane... And while you were in the air, you know, they got back up and said, our flight attendants are going to come show you how to handle this. We are going down. They said, 100%, we're going down. And we're hoping to land the plane. It's going to be rough, but we're going down. Here's all the things you need to know. Then I'm pretty sure everyone would be locked in. Okay, what is it I need to know? How do you put this thing on? How do you do this? What should I do in light of that situation? Nobody would be looking at their phone, reading the book. Right, nobody, nobody. Why? Well, because your perspective changed because the reality of your situation begins to sink in. And when the reality of your situation begins to sink in, you take those safety instructions much more seriously. So it is with the Bible and with our world. It's because we do not see necessarily the things that are happening all around us. We do not take them very seriously. And because we do not take them very seriously, we do not take instructions about how to deal with them very seriously. Man, I want you now to think, man, okay, this is real, this is serious, and I need to understand what God has said so that I can fight against it. So Paul says here we need God's armor, particularly this first phrase, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. That's his first real reason. You need the strength of God and the armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Now, I've done this before a couple times. I'm just going to throw this out there just to always deal with this one thing. You say, well, some of you, maybe you're watching online or Maybe a friend brought you, and uh, this whole idea of the devil seems pretty silly to you, and you just think it's really silly that people would believe in something like that. Uh, your idea of the devil is, you know, he's got the pitchfork and the horns, and he's got the tail, and he's red, you know, and, and he walks around, and he pokes people with his thing, you know, and you think, that's so silly. Like, you can't, how could you be a real person, a logical, rational person, and believe in something like that? We're going to talk about the devil this morning. You're like, that's kind of funny. Uh, and then you're making fun of all of us for thinking about this. And I just want you to take a second, though, just one second, and I want you to consider how evil and wicked the world is. I just want you to take a second and just think about all the awful things that have happened and do happen on a daily basis. The level, the degree of wickedness that's sometimes hard to even comprehend. It's hard to even get there. Like, how does somebody get to a place where they're willing to do that? And then, I want you to take that thought. 
how wicked everything is. And if you don't believe in God, you also have this other assumption over here that humans are basically good. These are your worldview things right now to say, oh, the world is obviously evil. That doesn't take any argument. Uh, But if you don't believe in God, usually you have this assumption, this worldview that humans are basically good. So we should trust how we feel. We should go about what we think. Humans are, you know, generally decent people. That would be your worldview, okay? Now, I just want you to see how it makes no sense that to believe that humans are basically good and then to turn around and say, and they're also capable of this level of evil and wickedness. That the awful things we see are not a few exceptions. There's not like one or two really bad things happening. There's millions. And not only that, but you yourself know within you all the awful things you have done. And you're not as great as you think you are either. The thing, the idea that that stuff comes from a group of people that are basically inherently good, it, it just doesn't make sense. It doesn't add up. Uh, and it isn't true to our experience, wouldn't it make more sense, actually, that there's something way more evil working behind the scenes that creates this kind of chaos in our lives that has no limits, no moral conscience, and is willing to bring bring to pass the most wicked of possible things? I actually think not only is that more rational, but it's it's the explanation that makes the most sense to say clearly there's something going on beyond what we can see to bring to pass the evil things that we see on a daily basis and hear about all around the world. So I don't think you should look at the idea of the devil and say, well, that's silly. You should look at it and you should take it much more serious as a real rational explanation for why things can get so bad. So in light of that, you have to deal with this. The devil has strategies, it says, schemes against you. So I'm gonna give you three ways to stand and that's how we're gonna navigate the rest of our time. The first is you must stand with a good strategy. So go ahead and write that down. Stand with a good strategy. You see here it says the devil has schemes. You may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. A simple question is this. The devil has a plan, do you? He's got a plan. He's ready for the game. He's prepared. He's got a plan. Do you have a plan? He's got a scheme. Do you have a scheme? He has a strategy against you. Do you have a strategy against him? How foolish would it be to go into battle with a commander who has a very specific and well-thought-out plan of attack against you and not be prepared yourself? I mean, this is even applicable to sports games. How how bad of a coach would it be if they just went in, gave a hoo-ha speech, and had no plan? Go out there and score as many touchdowns as you can as fast as possible. That's not actually going to get the job done, you know? Unless you got NFL players playing against you know, middle school kids, then that's enough. That's all you need. But if you, have real, or if you have a real opponent, you need a plan. You need a plan. Do you have a plan for when specific types of temptation come into your life? Do you have a strategy for when your mind goes to certain places? Do you have a plan for spiritual growth in your life so you can be proactive to fight against what the devil is bringing against you? Do you have a plan for applying the word of God in your life, in your family, for learning these things? Do you have a strategy? Let me tell you, the devil has a plan. The devil has a scheme. The devil has a strategy. The question is, do you and do I? And I was, in light of this, I was looking into all these military strategy books. I know we got a lot of military people in here. Y'all are awesome, and we appreciate you. And I was just so, you know, I just dipped my toe in it for a second, looking at some different things. And 
It was amazing to me how meticulous all the possible approaches were and how much people considered not just the material resources but psychological disposition of their opponent. How clear it was to walk through every possible aspect. What materials do they have to fight with? Man, what do they love? What do they hate? What are their reasons for fighting? What are the things that might be able to psychologically get them down or out? What are the lies we can tell that force them to misthink about their situation? How can we bring them into a place of complacency? How, how all these things are happening, the psychological disposition, the attitude, the material resources, the motivations and beliefs of a particular group of people, why and how they would fight. And I just want you to realize that how, how much effort you know, people put into this so they can have the best advantage over their opponent. And I want to put in front of you and remind you that this is true times a million with your enemy, the devil. And he is also smarter and more experienced than any military strategist. He is considering your psychological disposition. He is considering your personality traits. He is considering your history and the things that you'd be willing to do and not do. He considers your experience and the types of things that are normalized in your life. He considers your resources and the things that you're able to use and not use. He knows exactly what buttons to push more than your spouse about how to, how to get you, you know? You can get right there. He knows. He knows. So in light of that, and his, his goal, we have to understand, is the destruction of your soul, not just your body. His goal is that he would destroy the very essence of who you are. And he has a plan. And he is considering every possible angle. And he is smarter and more experienced than any military strategist or the best coaches in all the world. He knows way better how to execute his plan. This is the reality of your spiritual situation and condition. Now, to any of you that are not yet in Christ, if you come here today, you know, learning, seeking these things, once again, we're so glad you're here. This is a, a great welcome place for you to come with questions and all of that, okay? If you're watching online, just come, be here, listen, learn. We're glad to have you here. What I want you to understand is that the devil's one desire for you, he has one plan right now, is simply to keep you away from Jesus. His main strategy is to do everything he can to keep you away from Jesus. And if he has to do this by making your life great, he's cool with that. If the devil can make you successful so that you don't think you need Jesus, it's just as good of a plan as abusing you and having trauma in your life. He, he loves to make you think you don't need Jesus. And just to give you this perspective, this is why often it is God's grace that he allows suffering into our lives so that we are no longer deceived into thinking that everything is okay. Oftentimes, suffering is a gift from God to remind us of our need for him. The Bible says pride goes before destruction. We need the Lord. You need the Lord. You need Jesus. And Jesus has brought you here today to show you that not only do you need him, but he loves you. And he died and rose again so that you can have a relationship with him. And the only thing the devil is attempting to do in your life is keep you from Jesus. Now, to those who are in Christ, who do already believe in Jesus, the devil cannot take away your salvation. He cannot change what has already been done and secured by God. So his next purpose is to take away your purpose. If the devil cannot take away your salvation in Christ, he wants to take away your purpose. He wants to basically knock you off the playing field. He wants to take away your usefulness. He wants to put you on the sidelines. Uh, in basketball terms or sports terms, you, they call this, you can strategize a player off the floor. Which means that if you have a game and you're playing, let's say basketball, you got five on five, 
and there's a certain player that may be good at shooting, but he's really weak defensively. They can organize a whole plan of attack to go at that one player and score so consistently that even though that one player can shoot on the other end, he's so weak on the defensive end, it's killing the whole game. So they strategize this person completely off the floor, meaning he can't play anymore. And there are certain ways this gets played out in different series where they pick the weakness of an opponent, they create a strategy to play certain players off the floor, to make them unusable in the game. So that now they don't have to worry about that person shooting on the other end because they've made him completely indefensible on the defensive end. This is what the devil aims to do. He wants to strategize you off the court. He wants to play you off the floor. He wants to get you out of the game. He wants to create a strategy that puts you on the sidelines and out of the game. He wants to destroy your confidence so that you no longer believe who you are and what you can do anymore. He wants to do things like make you focus solely on how Christians behave wrongly or how you've been hurt by the church that you completely dismiss how good God is. What a great strategy to get you out of the game. He wants, to, he wants to make you feel unnoticed so that now there's no reason to use your gifts anymore. Nobody notices or cares anyways. When's the last time someone said thank you? Or when's the last time someone realized the good things that you're doing and he does those things to you? Why? To get you out of the game. The devil's main goal for you as a Christian is to get you off the court. It's to get you on the bench. For some of you, it's just complacency. And he's, he's convinced you that if you simply come to church, you've done, you've, you're really living the Christian life. As opposed to you being a part of God's army, bringing light into darkness, using your gifts and making a huge difference. The devil has allowed you to create, to settle and have complacency and to get out of the game. If you are not currently actively on the court and playing in the game, that is for you as a Christian, the devil's primary focus is to keep you off the court and out of the game. And whatever he has to do and whatever lie he has to tell you to accomplish that, that is exactly what he's going to do. You have to be aware of the opponent's strategy so that you can make a counter strategy. This is what the armor of God is, okay? So as we prepare to go into that over the next few weeks, the armor of God is a counter strategy to the schemes of the devil. And if you really now believe that the devil has scheming things against you and that it's important for you to be ready for the fight, then you would take putting on the armor much more seriously. One of the great things to consider about this, though, is your place of victory in the midst of who the devil is because we must remember that because he doesn't have a position of power, his only hope is strategy, right? Because he doesn't have the real power, the power that you have in Christ, he certainly doesn't have power equal to God. He cannot do what you would call open warfare or hand-to-hand combat. He must play from the corners in the dark places, and create strategies against you because he knows that if he were to meet you and you were walking fully in the power of the Holy Spirit, he would have no chance. You, in Christ, are in the position of power. The only chance the devil has is to outsmart you, is to outscheme you. And so if you take the power God's given you and apply the strategies God's given you, the devil has no chance against that. No chance. So I want you to be eyes wide open to the reality that this is happening all around you, but also to realize that you are in the position of power, and the way that you make use of your position of power is to put on the armor of God, which is what we're going to spend the next few weeks discussing. So that's stand with a good strategy. You need a strategy. The devil has a plan, do you? The second thing is you need to stand in the right place. You need to stand in the right place. The, the verse here says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, 
but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So what we see from here is that there is an enemy army, and they are organized. They have rank, they have titles, and they are trained for battle. Once again, the Bible is just opening our eyes to the reality of our spiritual condition. There is an enemy army. They are organized. They have ranks, and they are trained for battle. This is the reality all around you. There are rulers, authorities, powers, and they are over this present darkness. There are spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. You are in a spiritual battle, whether you realize it or not, and whether you like it or not. Okay? Not believing in it doesn't make it go away. And pretending like it's not that big a deal doesn't make it not a big deal. You are in this spiritual battle whether you want to be there or not. You are in this spiritual battle whether you even believe there is one or not. Right? You just, you know, it's like when kids play hide and seek and they just close their eyes and they think you can't see them. You're like, how dumb is that? You know, like, and that's what we do. You just close your eyes to these realities and say, oh, the devil's not. It's like as if you, that just changes everything. Well, I'm not going to believe, so it's fine. You know, like, no, all right? Don't be like that. Don't close your eyes and think, oh, everything's fine because I don't see it. No. I want to open your eyes through the word of God this morning. You need to realize you're in a spiritual battle. The Bible says here that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. This is what I mean by stand in the right place. He says we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but how much energy do we waste in unnecessary fights, shooting our shots aimed in the wrong direction, standing in the wrong place, fighting the wrong battles? He says we do not, do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Meaning that the primary issues of your life are not the things that you can see. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but we are wasting energy in unnecessary fights, aiming our efforts in the wrong directions. We keep shooting, but we do not hit the target. And eventually we run out of shots and we leave ourselves open to the attack of the enemy because we wasted all our ammo shooting at the wrong target. We're standing in the wrong place, fighting the wrong battles, wasting all of our energy, and then we have no spiritual authority when it comes to the real fight. Because we've wasted all of our enemy and we've wasted all of our energy. This is why, like, we call it friendly fire amongst Christians is so absolutely, utterly ridiculous. How can Christians waste one second of energy fighting one another when we have a real enemy we need to direct our attention to? This is why God hates division. Part of it's bad, but it also just makes you useless. How in the world? You, there's just a few. There's not like, a, no, there's just a few of us. There's an entire army of evil against us and an entire world that's anti-God all around us. And then we're going to look at each other and say, oh, I don't like you, you know? How does that make any sense? How is that useful at all? Division kills your usefulness. It takes your ammo, it shoots it in the wrong place. You end up with nothing left, no energy left, no fight left, and you spend it all on friendly fire attacking one another. You're standing in the wrong place, fighting the wrong battle, wasting all your energy, and leaving yourself vulnerable to attack. You need to stand in the right place and fight the right enemy. You need to consider what this might look like in your life. The fight isn't against your boss, and your struggle there, your fight is against your pride and whether you can be humble. Your fight is not against singleness, but it's for contentment. 
Your fight is not against those who betrayed you, but for the power to forgive. When you focus on the wrong fight, right, you waste your strength. The issue, the primary issue, never is what is happening around you or in your situations that you can see. But there is always a thing behind the thing that really is what you're fighting for. Like I said, uh, you don't fight against those who betrayed you, but you fight for the power to forgive. You don't fight against your situation, but you fight for the power to be content. These are the things you need to consider. Are you using your energy to stand in the right place to fight for the right things? You need to stand in the right place and not waste energy in unnecessary fights, aiming your shots in the wrong direction. We also need to stand in the right place with the right weapon. 2 Corinthians 10, three through four says, though we walk in the flesh, get this, we do not war according to the flesh. So we just said that. We don't know where it's looking flesh and blood. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. So we don't, we don't fight in the flesh, we don't fight with the flesh. The weapons that we use are not carnal, they're not fleshly, they're not things that we can see, but they are mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. You need to stand in the right place, you also need to stand with the right weapons. And so often you're taking up the weapons that you can create for yourself, and maybe you're fighting for happiness, so you're taking the weapon of money, and you think if I accumulate more money, I can accumulate more happiness, even though that hasn't worked for any person in the history of the world. You're fighting with the wrong weapons. You're fighting with the wrong weapons. You're fighting with your perspective, not God's perspective. You're fighting with your resources, not God's resources. You're fighting with the wrong weapons, and you are going to lose this spiritual war if you do not pick up spiritual weapons. This is why even that song, I love that song, it says, this is my, my weapons are praise and thanksgiving. This is a real thing in the Bible. These are, there's stories in the Bible about how the army would put the worship team first. Right, imagine if somebody was coming to attack the church and we sent DDA and the team out, out front. We said, all right, I know there's guns, but the worship team, get your guitars and go out front. Okay, and the Lord's gonna give us a victory. That's literally what happened. In the Bible, worship is a way of warfare. Offering thanksgiving is a, is, a, is a complete step on the enemy's territory. Right? You can't be complaining while you're giving thanksgiving. You can't be doubting God while you're giving thanksgiving for all the good things he's done. Thanksgiving is an act of warfare. You need to pick up spiritual weapons, the word of God, prayer. If you do not use spiritual weapons, you will lose the greatest battle that you're facing. Once you think about it like this, uh, I've used this analogy before, I want you to stick it in your head, okay? So Lego Batman, anybody seen Lego Batman? Have people in here, okay? All right, I, I love it when people who don't have kids say they watch Lego Batman. I think that's great, <laughs> just go for it, okay? Yeah, amen, just go for it, okay? Be proud, all right, so. in uh, Lego Batman, one of my, the most hilarious things to me is the noise that the Joker makes when he shoots his little gun, and he, because it's not a real weapon, it's a joke in the movie also, but he goes pew, 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 pew! This is what he does. He makes the noise because it's not actually a thing, you know, it's a Lego. It's like, pew, 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 pew. Uh, and he's shooting, but it's not doing anything. And this is the same thing I think. You want you to think about how, how, how uh, uh, pathetic might be too strong of a word, but how, how uh, silly it is to say, okay, 
I'm going to take my own resources, my mind, my strength, my uh, know-how, my ability to problem solve, my money, my relationship status, my networks, my whatever. I'm going to take all of my own resources, and I'm going to utilize those to fight against the enemy, okay? I want you to think about it. This is as stupid as it is. You're, you're picking up your strength, and you're going, pew, 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 and you think that's going to do something. Right? I make it sound stupid so you feel that way when you try it, okay? That's, that's the whole point. It is stupid. It's stupid when I do it. It's stupid when you do it. It's stupid when all of us do it. They say, well, I'm going to take my ability to solve problems, and I'm going to pick it up to fight against the devil. Pew, 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 you know? No, 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 no. But how often do we utilize our own strength and our resources to fight against the war, to fight against the enemy? You need to pick up spiritual weapons to fight the spiritual battle. Once again, this is a setup for how important the armor of God is in our lives. These are our spiritual weapons. And they're the means by which we fight the spiritual war. And maybe, just maybe, you keep falling down because you haven't armored up. Maybe, just maybe, you don't have the strength to stand because you're not receiving it from God. Maybe, just maybe, if you armored up with spiritual weapons, you could fight the spiritual battle in front of you. I want you to see as well here this word wrestle. Wrestle is an important word choice. Why? Because wrestling implies something, something close in proximity, some battle like that. And I want you to continue. He says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Uh, and you have this simple idea here that you are wrestling outside of your weight class. Okay? You simply aren't strong enough to fight the fight that you're in. You need the Lord. You need the Lord. And the whole point of this whole segment was help you realize you need the Lord. Now, on the positive news here, your enemy and my enemy is very great, but the good news always is that our God is much greater. Ephesians and Colossians, let me read you some verses. Paul has already walked us through how powerful Jesus is in comparison to the powers of the enemy, but look in verse 19. What is immeasurable, the greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Jesus is greater than your enemy. Colossians 2, 13 through 15, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with his legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. Your enemy is great, but your God is greater. Our victory is not in what we do now, but what he has done. We fight a war that has already been won. That's why this last point, you can stand in God's strength. Jesus died so you can stand. Jesus stood in your place to take the wrath of God so you can stand in grace and receive the love of God. Jesus conquered your greatest enemy so you can stand against any enemy you face on a given day. You are forgiven in Christ so you can stand on a daily basis. Your future is secure by the promises of God so you can stand today and face any trial. God is surely, the Bible says, turning this around for good so you can stand in the midst of how bad it looks, God is strong enough, loving enough, and wise enough, and that same God is with you in this very moment so you can stand up. 
The strength to stand comes from God. That's why Paul says, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. When Paul says, be strong in the Lord, it's like us saying, get up on your feet, but then looking up to the gospel and having Jesus be the one to pull you up and lift you up as you give him your attention and time and focus. This is God's gift to you, is that in the gospel, you can apply all of the victory that Jesus has won you, and as you consider the great things God has done for you, and as you put on the spiritual armor that God has already won for you, you are given the strength to stand. You do not earn the strength to stand. You do not will up the strength to stand. You do not manipulate yourself into believing you have the strength to stand. You do not pretend that you can stand when you cannot. You receive the ability to stand by the gift of God's grace to you in the gospel. And you live in light of that every single day. I am forgiven. I do not have to let the shame of my, my past knock me down on a daily basis. I can stand assured in God's love for me. Right? My future is secure. I do not have to let my worries and anxieties about what is to come knock me down on a daily basis. I can stand in God's good promises in my life. If God did not spare his own son, but willingly gave him up for us all, how will he not along with him graciously give us all things? If God has proven his love for me in Jesus in the midst of my worst moments, then surely now I can trust his love to be present with me in the midst of my worst moments. I can stand right here in this place, in this situation, with this trial, because God is with me. You need spiritual eyes to see. And God wants to empower you to stand. Be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. For some of you, you need to receive the strength of God through faith in Christ today. Through believing and trusting in what Jesus has done for you, you need to receive the gift of God's forgiveness and new life in Christ. And that is the only way you'll ever stand a chance. Just like I kind of told you in the beginning with the analogy, the waves of life are coming. But God is here this morning telling you to get back up on your feet. And he is empowering you and strengthening you by the good news of the gospel to do so today. Let's pray and let's respond to the Lord. Lord, we love you. We thank you for the strength that you do give us in Christ. Thank you for the blessing of knowing you. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity we have to trust you and follow you. And I just pray now in this moment that every single person, God, would receive and be strong in the strength that you have won on the cross and in the resurrection. I pray that you would give every single person heaven's perspective on their situation. I pray against doubt and against anxiety and worry and shame, and I pray for confidence and assurance in your love and your promises. I pray, Lord, that you would enable your people this very morning, in this very moment, to get back up on their feet and to stand strong, not in their own strength, but in yours. And so, Lord, would you supernaturally, in this moment, even right now, God, would you come and would you strengthen us? We ask this and we, we take hold of this based off the good news of the gospel. And it's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. Why don't you stand and let's respond to the Lord now. There will be a prayer team down front. Once again, I encourage you, you take up spiritual weapons. Prayer is one of the weapons you need to stand strong. So we have a prayer team. Utilize it. Make good use of it. And God will help you in this moment.